Rusty Quill presents. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. No rest without love. No sleep without dreams of love. Be mad or chill, obsessed with angels or machines. The final wish is love. <sighs> Welcome back to the Spirit Box Radio Advice and Community segment.
That was a poem, faithful listeners, by my most favourite and best poet, Allen Ginsberg. Oh, listeners, we have a lot to get through today, but first, faithful listeners, I have some pressing news. You may recall that last week I spoke with friend of the show and frequent caller, Rytidia Delphus, about the rose I was mysteriously delivered in the early hours of Christmas Eve. Rytidia was kind enough to point me in the direction of a hedgewitch, who just so happens to be the very same florist who's been sending Madame Marie these beautiful bouquets since just before she disappeared. Or maybe immediately before. At any rate, the flowers come from Oliver Berlin, the owner of the Hatfield Capoche. And oh, faithful listeners, is it beautiful? I took a short bus trip over there on Tuesday. The pavement outside of the Hatfield Capoche is lined with stands adorned in freshly cut blooms, some of them displayed individually, among others of their same type. Other flowers were organised into gorgeous bouquets, carefully enrobed in paper bindings and fastened lovingly with ribbon. Inside, the shop is small and likewise dripping with florals, and the smell is absolutely divine. There are even flowers on the ceiling, tiny little pink things, absolutely blisteringly beautiful, but nothing on the man standing behind the counter in a dusky pink apron with a pocket on the front. Sticking out of the pocket was a pair of ceramic-handled clippers, a flowery design of lavender and ivy twisting up and down them. There was also a moisture gauge made of glass and a chain of what I could only assume was a pocket watch. Under his apron, he wore a dark green t-shirt and a hoodie, once black but faded and fraying at the seams. I can see why he held onto it, though. It hugged his frame perfectly, lean but not twiggy. He had his sleeves pushed up to his elbows, revealing arms covered in runic and floral tattoos, some of them broken with thin scars. His hands were bare as he handled the flowers, knuckles dirty, a thin scratch on the back of his hand where he must have caught it on an errant thorn. His black hair was artfully messed in a dark halo around his head, and there was a scar on his lip, the ghost of a wound which must have been severe, and another down his cheek. One side of his face, where it was not covered by his wavy hair, was scarred and thick, as though in many layers. His green eyes glimmered when he looked up at me and smiled with slightly, charmingly crooked teeth. Ah, he's much too young to have dated Madame Marie. Anyway, we've had a lot in the P.O. box this week, including a request from listener Holly West in Edinburgh to explain how to use the Spirit Box radio service. Holly says that she's looked on the forums and thinks she has a pretty good grasp of what she's doing, but she's a bit worried about muddling the basics. Aren't we all, Holly? I'll walk you through what I've learned from LBBM, or the Little Book of Big Magic. The section on Spirit Boxes isn't particularly lengthy, but it is the best and most succinct one I've found. Here it is. It says, A spirit box is a device which skips through multiple radio channels, which can possibly be manipulated by Arcana, which otherwise struggles to communicate with the living. Fragments of speech in radio waves may be linked up to complete words, phrases and, rarely, sentences of dialogue. Spirit boxes are best used for minor Arcana and they're generally benign, but can be used in attempts to commune with more major powers if the caster is experienced and knows what it is they are looking for. Now, Holly, most of the time a spirit box is a small, well, box which can be carried from room to room, but they can be pretty pricey to buy, which is one of the reasons we set up Spirit Box Radio. You can tune into our live broadcast of the channel skipping anytime on any device capable of connecting to the internet for absolutely free. 
Results are obviously not as reliable as with a proper spirit box because the device is only broadcasting and has no channel skipping abilities of its own, which means it tends to favour slightly more proactive arcana and may be a bit useless if whatever you're dealing with is a bit shy and unmotivated. The other big source of confusion is, of course, that multiple users can access spirit box radio at the same time and it can be unclear which of them has been successful in their attempted communications, which is why we bang on so regularly here at Spirit Box Radio about using one of the forums to let other faithful listeners know when you're going to be using the surface to commune with the dead. So, to get started, you need to download the app into your phone and tune into 303, and we're there! Just sit with your device and play the station wherever the activity is most frequent. Some people like to draw a power circle, but that can be risky if you're not really sure what you're dealing with or if this is your first time. You could just light a candle and turn out the lights. Ghosts and other minor arcana generally respond well to a bit of scene setting. From there, it's like any sort of divining or communing. Ask your questions clearly and wait patiently for a response. I hope that helps. Goodness me, you know, I was so excited to tell you about Oliver the florist that I clean forgot to tell you about the rose, didn't I? As I approached the front counter of his shop, I was very nervous. He was very good looking despite the scars, in fact, because of the scars. My hands were all sweaty and was slippering on the box that I keep the rose in. Oliver had a sort of surprised look on his face and he said in the most beautiful velvet tones that my ears have ever had the luxury of hearing that people didn't usually just walk into his shop. It was by appointment. So I told him I'd been sent by Ritidia Delphus, and he seemed very surprised by this. He said something else, but I was just so taken with the sound of his voice that I clean forgot to actually listen to the words he was saying. There were lots of oohs and ahs, and I think at some point he may have mentioned Madame Marie, which was about when I remembered that when people talk, it's usually to communicate something and not just to grace you with the sound of their voice, though I could have listened to him make any sounds he liked and gone away just as satisfied. So I took out the rose and Oliver's sentence just trailed off into nothing. And then he said, may I? No. And with a sort of deep amusement, he ducked through a small door, which was almost hidden by a curtain of hanging flowers. I followed him, still holding the rose in my fingers. In the little room, the light was entirely blue. It danced on Oliver's scars and made them shine like silver. The flowers and plants in that room were strange and marvellous shapes. Some of them seemed to be moving. Some swayed as though in a gentle breeze, but the air was still hot and wet like a rainforest, despite the chilliness of the shop we'd just walked in from. The other plants trembled and flexed, leaves furling and unfurling, all about me in a quiet rustling that was undercut by the faint gush of heavy running water and the chirping of distant crickets. Though the room itself could only have been very small, from the size of the building that the shop was in. Oliver walked a winding path between the plants, some snapping at him as he walked. One reached to nip me on the arm, but without looking back, Oliver snapped at it. The plant retreated with a disappointed rustle. I did think it odd, the place being called the Hatfield Capoche, despite being nowhere near any Hatfield nor selling any fruit. But that was until, of course, I laid my eyes on its owner, Oliver. Clearly, it's named for Carboche, the great beauty of Greek legend. The Hatfield part of the name, I confess, I still have no idea as to where it comes from. Perhaps he simply likes hats and fields. Or hats in fields. Who knows? 
Well, anyway, I'm getting distracted. I should just get on with a little bit more advice and community. We have received a letter from someone in Whitby about... Oh, there's blood on it. Oh, we had another one of those scraps of cloth this week. We started getting them about a week after Madame Marie disappeared. We've had three more since then, but this one was weird because the blood seemed fresh. It got on my favourite T-shirt. I do hope the stain comes out in the wash. It was right over one of the little blue stars. It's completely ruined Orion's belt. So annoying. I wish whoever was sending them had bothered to just put them in an envelope even. They put stamps on them, but they're never postmarked. And, well, I think the post people would probably put it in a little bag if the blood was still wet, wouldn't they? It's very curious. It's like it just shows up all by itself. Maybe it's some kind of spell to make it last for longer. Oh, I should stop talking about this in case Anna decides to listen in this week. Don't get me wrong, it's a good thing that she's getting involved. She's always had a healthy amount of scepticism about Madame Marie's work. Or perhaps an unhealthy amount, actually, but I don't know. My memory is fuzzy. It's funny because I often find I recall far more detail than most people, but it's like there's a sort of fuzzy wall in my head. And before that, there are all these great big holes in my memories until it's more like a void, punctuated by bright lights of things I do remember, like the pentagrams at Christmas and my bedroom with the window and the white door. The white door. How it haunts me. But that's beside the point. The letter from Whitby comes from Karina, who has kindly sent us some as-yet indecipherable runes and several very clean teeth. I'm not sure why she sent it, but thank you nonetheless, Karina. We have also received a short letter from a Mr Prakash in Mumbai. Mr Prakash, I don't recall the letter being this long when I looked at it, but I put it in the pile of things to read, so... Mr Prakash says... I am an old man now, but many years ago I was a young one. I grew up here in Mumbai, and I have lived here all my life. Here I learned to walk, talk, ride a bike, and it was here that I met my wife when I was just 16. She was from a family much wealthier than mine. She was very beautiful and always wore blue and gold. By some stroke of luck, I caught her eye too, and we began to have secret liaisons. I knew her family would not be happy with our match. She had been betrothed to a politician's son who was very wealthy and had been intended to marry him in five years' time when she turned 21. So we kept our love secret, and as the years wore on, though I was convinced of her feelings for me, I became convinced also that she intended to leave me and marry the politician's son when the time came. But perhaps we would continue to love each other in secret after she was married. I was certain that was what she would do. The idea possessed me, though looking back I had no evidence for it. She would say I was simply insecure, but I dared not tell her of any of these suspicions before she passed away not long ago, and I certainly didn't mention the lengths I went to in order to prevent her from leaving me. You must understand, I was 18. I believed I would die without her, truly. I loved her with that all-consuming love that only comes when you're young and you've not learned the ways of the world. I thought she was my world. I would have done anything if it would have prevented her from leaving me. Anything at all. I had heard rumours of a man, a white man in a flat cap and shell suit. I had heard tell of him from paper boys and the woman who sold roti on the street corner on my way to school. If you look for him, they told me, you will not find him. 
If you seek him, they said, but do not search, then you will find him. And then their eyes would glaze for a second and they would just carry on talking as though they'd said nothing at all. No amount of questioning would get them to elaborate on what they'd meant. It took me weeks to understand it. I was wandering the streets, trying to empty my mind, to meditate as I slipped down alleyways. I had to find him because the people who would tell me about him, they also said that he was a witch who specialised in love spells. It was not until the end of summer that I finally found him. I'd spent the night with friends and had had maybe one or two too many beers. And as I stumbled home, I found myself down a street I didn't know. The buildings were familiar, but wrong. There were too many windows to fit in the walls. The doorways were too large or too small. And all of them were lit as though it was dusk, even though it was the middle of the night. The chatter of the street was gone replaced by a kind of silence that drills into your eardrums, a silence somehow louder than any sound I've ever heard. And then it was pierced by the sharp yap of a duck. It was a small, straggly thing. I would have said it was a stray, but it had no eyes. No scars where eyes had been. Just dark fur. Its tail wagged so fast that at first I didn't notice that it was not one tail, but many thin and splitting. It barked, jaws hinged too far back, red tongue lolling over serrated teeth so white they glowed in the murky half-light. The dog barked again, and I knew this time to follow. It disappeared around a corner, and when I followed it, I found myself standing on a square. A wind was blowing, cold and scentless. A man in a flat cap and shell suit sat at a small table with his feet on an upturned box. The little dog with no eyes and many tails hopped up into his lap. Prakash, is it? said the man. Been expecting you. I don't remember what he said to me, nor how I got home. The memory is like runny eggs dripping through my fingers. But when I woke up in my bed the next morning, I knew what had been done. And I knew there was a price, although I could not remember what it was. I continued to see my girlfriend in secret, now certain that she would not leave me. But I wasn't sure why. When the time came for her to marry her politician's son, we talked about it at length. She told me she would never leave me, but I found myself saying the strangest thing without intending it. I told her to do it, to leave me and marry him. She was upset, she wept and wept, but I insisted, and I don't know why. In the moment she was gone, I cursed myself for having been so foolish, and I despaired in the months leading up to the wedding, and wept all through that night, only to be woken the next morning by a knock on the door. It was my beloved. Her newly wedded husband was dead. There was no clear cause of death the autopsy could find. They wrote it down as a heart attack, but from what the coroner said, it was as if his heart had simply stopped beating, and there was no sign of trauma whatsoever. Two years later, my beloved and I were wed. We spent some years travelling, before coming back here to Mumbai to have our six beautiful children. Three years ago, my beloved was diagnosed with cancer. She fought long and hard, but yesterday she finally gave in and shuffled off this mortal coil. Our youngest daughter is only five. 
I would beg for more time, but I know now what is happening and there is nothing I can do. Walking home from the hospital, just an hour after my wife had died, I saw the dog with no eyes and many tails on the corner of the street. When I got in the house this evening, I flung open a window wide without knowing why. And not half an hour ago, a cold and scentless wind blew in and the light, though it's now gone three o'clock in the morning, rose into a thin, dusky blue. He's here. He sits. The dog sits in his lap, wagging its many tails. The man in his flat cap and shell suit told me that the time has come for my payment. And my payment is this, a letter to you, Sam Enfield. Now, as I sign my name, he is handing me a deep red rose, but as it touches my fingers, it crumbles to dust, and now my fingers too, and I... And then it just trails off, faithful listeners, and there's a smudge of something dark on the page. How curious. A letter specifically for me. I... It definitely didn't look like this when I put it in the pile. Like, how strange, how curious. For me, this arcano wanted him to write a letter to me. Could it be that this person, this man in the story, whoever he is, he... the same one who delivered me my rose on Christmas Eve? Maybe he's some kind of witch or psychic like Madame Marie. Anna and Kitty's fathers are both powerful in the arcane arts in their own way, be they very different. Maybe this man... The man who is responsible for, well, me, maybe he is too. The rose in the letter sounded very like my rose and, goodness, I I forgot to tell you. (laughs) Oliver, the exquisite florist, he said he'd seen a rose like mine before, a long time ago when he was witness to some terrible tragedy of which he couldn't speak. That rose that he had seen had crumbled as soon as he touched it. There was a sort of odd beat of silence where... I could almost feel the energy fizzing in the air between us, and then Oliver reached out, and as soon as the tips of his fingers grazed the petals of the rose, it turned to ash. And Oliver yelped a melodic yelp, clinging to his wrist. He curled in on himself, twitching, and then he was still. He wasn't breathing. I didn't know what to do except stand there, and then minutes later he took a deep, shuddering breath and sat up. His fingers were covered in a delicate net of scars, like the veins in a leaf. Oliver stared at them for a moment and said, very quietly and evenly, and of course beautifully, just one word. Curious. After a moment or two of catching his breath, he helped me sweep up the ashes and we put them back in a box, without him touching them of course, which is here in front of me now. It's so strange, there seemed to be an awful lot of ash for just a single rose, and it's... Oh, faithful listeners, now that is curious. It seems inside the box it's a rose again. Perfect is the day it was sent to me. Yeah, very weird indeed. I wonder if I... I probably shouldn't try to touch it. But it was fine when I touched it before, so... Well, nothing, just a rose. Oh, is that... Is that lost a pathway? Oh, faithful listeners, I must go. I'm afraid my nose is bleeding. Tune in next week. This is Spirit Box Radio. Thank you and good night.
Spirit Box Radio is distributed by Hanging Thoughts Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. The show is created, directed and produced by me, Ada Major, the voice of Sam Enfield. Music is by Maybe Wednesday. Find us on Twitter at Spirit Box Radio or tweet the sloths at Hanging Sloths. You can support the show at patreon.com forward slash Hanging Sloth Studios. Spirit Box Radio is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. <laughs>